Open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We're going to begin in just a minute in verse 14. If I could ask uh, the sound booth gentlemen, could you go back to the last verses of the song we just sang? Would that be too much trouble? While they're doing that, let me just share with you uh, something that uh, may be an encouragement to you and your family uh, this afternoon. Uh, Typically, there's very little that the culture has to offer that I think is worth anything. But at 5 o'clock on Channel 6, the the local Fox affiliate, Channel 6, Shades Mountain Baptist Church is sponsoring a young musician by the name of Drew Holcomb in a Christmas concert. And uh, you might enjoy that and take advantage of of that. If you do, uh, you'll be celebrating along with my grandson Jude. He, he, he loves that particular band. But again, it's something that uh, you might uh, want to take advantage of. As we continue, second sermon in what we want to think about as we celebrate Christmas. And we asked the question last week, how now may we celebrate? And I would follow up that with this. We must celebrate. It struck me as we were singing this morning, Why and how come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death the God of life. Why can we celebrate? Why must must we celebrate? But no grave could e'er restrain Him. Praise the Lord. Why should you celebrate? He's alive. Go to the next frame, please. What a foretaste of deliverance. Our salvation isn't perfected and consummated. We await the return of Jesus Christ, which is sure. It is just as sure as we stand here right now. It is the day we hear the trump. We're getting a little taste. As we gather here today, how unwavering our hope. How do you celebrate Christmas? Because we have a sure, a certain, a fixed, a sound hope. Christ in power resurrected. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now in work in us who believe. As we will be when He comes. Not yet. Not yet, but one day. Four lines. How may we now celebrate? Ask yourself that question. In in view of all of the realities, it didn't take COVID for me to realize every time I look in the mirror, all the lines in my face getting clearer. Yeah, Aerosmith had it right. They did. That's discouraging. One of the literary giants of the 20th century understood that and he took his shotgun and blew his brains out. Ernest Hemingway. We must celebrate or we will despair. Now, not just for these few weeks. Our lifestyle should be defined and distinguished by the reality that we have an unwavering hope. 
Hadn't changed. COVID hasn't changed it. Racial tension hasn't changed it. Elections haven't changed it. Our hope is certain. And it is secure. Because that's true. Not only can we, must we. Must we celebrate. Read with me if you will. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Underline that. In the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have appointed the Son as our great high priest. The perfect sacrifice and the perfect one who intercedes for us. We thank you for that great truth. May this truth permeate and sustain our lives. May we hear and understand the truth today for your glory and for the very well-being of our souls. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about biblical truth, doctrinal truth, theological framing, theological propositions, this concept's a bit new to me. Uh, somewhere along the time that I was at Beeson in the late 90s, or even after I graduated, uh, the pastor that I was working with began to emphasize this. Now, I was almost 40 years old, had been to church three times a week for my entire life. Now, they told me not to dance, smoke, and chew. It didn't stop me, but I did. You know, but they told me to. But I don't remember them ever telling me about Jesus and who He is. And what He has done for us as believers. So that we may live with an eternal, transcendent, permeating hope. 
Now, you know when I say hope, and when the Bible speaks of hope, that's not the willy-nilly, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That is a deeply rooted, founded in the conviction of the truth of the Word of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all that is meant, that is meant by that and so we look today and we continue to, to, to hold that, that question about, I live in a world that challenges me. Folks, life challenges me. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm, it, it's not just COVID, okay? And I am thankful that my hope is not in a vaccination. It's not that the government's going to engineer this thing and blah, 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 blah. My hope is that what Christ did 2,000 years ago outside of the gates of Jerusalem on a hill that they call Calvary is sufficient for eternal salvation that the current testimony of that salvation is a joy in the midst of suffering and sorrow. Yeah. And so we want to to look at those things, and we want to, to hold to, to, to these things. Because what? Because as the writer of Hebrews will say, you, you haven't come to a shaken mountain. You, can, you came to the reality that can't be shaken. You've come, you've come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as, again, our ultimate and final and perfect high priest. Let's look here in verse 14. I'm going to make five affirmations regarding this, and, and hopefully they're kind of simple enough that you can kind of reflect on over the course of the week. If, if you're like me, the main point, one, two, three, four, five there, if you really think about it hard for about an hour before you go to work every morning, you might can memorize it, those four, five, six, seven, eight word statements, if you're kind of in my boat, okay? But they're worth sticking in your brain because, again, Jesus, as our great and ultimate high priest, he is unfailingly sympathetic. That is, he understands human frailty, the, the human uh, uh, condition, because, again, he has entered into the reality of human weakness. Okay? Again, Philippians 2, he humbled himself. He, he, he came into our world and experienced all the physical realities that go along with the, with the fall, fatigue and, and hunger and, and sorrow. He, he, he understood those things and even was tempted. And you may say, well, Jesus couldn't see him. Blah, blah, blah. We don't want to get into that argument. He was tempted and it was real. And it was a more painful than you or I have when we're tempted because what do we do? We give in too quickly. He never gave in. He felt the full weight of the, the, of the fire of hell coming uh, against uh, him. And, and so he, he, he understands and he, and he sympathizes and he's a, a sympathetic intercessor. And, and the thing is, as the text says there in, in, in verse 3 of, of chapter 5, the human high priest, he had to deal with his own sin. I mean, it was a great thing to intercede for Israel. But I suggest to you, 
The high priest probably went into that holy of holies, shaking and quivering, have I dealt adequately with my own sin? I'm not worried about those guys out there. I need to take care of myself. In fact, I, this may be apocryphal, but I've, I've heard this for years. That on the Day of Atonement, if you don't know what that is, Levitica, Leviticus 16, there you go, there's first day's devotion this week. The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holy only one day of year. And I'm told they put tassels on the, the uh, or, or bells on the tassels of his robe and tied a rope around his ankle in case God killed him while he was in there. So they, could, they didn't hear the, bill, the bells jingling, guess what? Bad things had happened, they could drag him out. Okay? But that, that's a reality that, that, that they, were, they, they were fearful. And the exhortation in our passage here right off the bat in verse 16, what? Let us. Let us with confidence. With a joyful sense of serenity and peace and confidence draw near to this throne of grace. Because again, so many times, we, as I have observed the mess of 2020, I've told you, I don't know how to pray in a, in a lot of ways. I've told you, I think the best thing to pray is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would love to not pass through the judgment of God for the apostasy that we see. But if that's what glorifies Him, if that is a part of His ultimate perfect plan to consummate this world, is to put us through the ringer, then hallowed be your name. It is good. It is good. So, our high priest understands our predicament, understands our frailties, and he is infinitely faithful to, to uh, intercede. Again, the writer of Hebrews, he opens the book. After he made purification of sins, he sat down to the right hand of the Father. And we'll say more about that, but again, the idea is what? No need to offer sacrifices anymore. Because that sacrifice accomplished what it was intended to do. Uh, listen, there were no chairs in the temple or tabernacle for the high priest to sit down and take, snake, take a smoke break. Get a Dr. Pepper and a bag of peanuts, you know, and do that number. There was none of that there. They stayed on their feet and they, they, they slaughtered sacrifices day after day after day after day after day. Jesus is done with all that. He doesn't have to worry about his own sin. And now he's in heaven with the perfect perspective. And again, I believe the angels and the gathered redeemed people in heaven today, they rejoice because Jesus can say it is finished, it is sufficient, their, their sins are covered, and I am to be glorified forever because of my work on the cross at Calvary. And the saints and the angels rejoice as he continues to intercede on the basis of the once and for all. So, I am thankful that, that, that he is unfailingly sympathetic. And we see, even on earth, he was a wonderful high priest. Don't turn there. John 17. What do we call that? His high priestly prayer. Don't take them out of the world. I've got a plan for them. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for those out there in the world that are unbelieving. I'm praying for them. He prayed for you in that prayer. 
Don't, don't, don't take them out of uh, uh, the world. Unify them. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. My word is truth. That's what I'm going to leave behind. I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to leave the Word. And that's going to work in them to make them more like me. It's going to transform them. And here's the biggest thing and the best thing. Here's what I pray. That one day they'll see my glory. One day they'll see my glory. Folks, that's it. We used to do a little ditty in the church. I guess it should call it. It's, probably, it's okay. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face and all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race until we see Christ. We will see Him a lot of times, and I, I don't, I'm not sure about this one, but a lot of times people say, well, we'll know and we'll understand. We won't be quibbling about it in heaven. Or, you know, we'll know the truth. Listen, we'll know Jesus. We'll, know, we'll be completely satisfied. We will see His beauty, His, His infinite and matchless, glorious beauty. And we'll be satisfied forever be satisfied in Him so nothing else will matter. I could care less if their, their streets are paved with gold and, and their pearly, pearly gates and all that. Maybe there is. I don't know. What's important about it? Jesus is there. So, He is there. He's, he's interceding on the basis of this once and for all accepted perfect sacrifice. So, the second issue that is brought forth, He is un deniably superior as our high priest we've already alluded he's not distracted uh, by sin Uh, he doesn't have to deal with that but this author wants us to understand that his appointment is better than even what God ordained as the Levites the descendants of Aaron serving in as a high priest that that he has been appointed by God himself look at chapter 5 verse 5 Christ did not exalt himself. He didn't usurp this thing and say, you bunch of loser high priests, get out of my way. I'm going to come in there and I'm going to do it right. But God appointed him. And here, here, here look, look at those two following uh, quotations. You are my son, today I've begotten you. That's known as a royal messianic psalm. Psalm 2, used in the coronation of kings. And then a second quote, you're a priest forever after the order of Mechizeldek. We'll flesh that one out because y'all don't have a clue who Mechizeldek is. You should. but. But he is the royal high priest. There's a therefore there. It's not the text. But Heath chose it this morning. We are a what? Royal priesthood. Because He is King and He is priest, He has called us into this kingdom as treasured possessions, and we too participate in this royal 
priesthood as people of God. Now, if you're an old-time Baptist, bless your heart. God's going to forgive you for all of that, okay? Come on, man. Now, that was funny. You're killing me. Timothy George wrote, Dean of Beeson Divinity School, okay, where I went to school. You can forgive him for that. Um, wrote, Baptists have hooped and hollered for all of my life. Preach to the believer, preach to the believer. You know, I, I saw the clip this week of, of Gomer making citizens arrest. You know, and Barney goes, citizens arrest, citizens arrest. And, and, and that's kind of the way that I've heard it in my life, not this church. In the church. Preach to the believers, preach to the believers. Which meant, and I've heard it said, again, not in this church. Well, nobody can tell me how to interpret Scripture. I can do it for myself. And there's some truth in that, but what they meant was, I can determine on my own, arbitrarily, what I want a passage to mean. Let me tell you what a passage means. It's what God intended it to mean. And that's what you better figure out. Not what it means to you. And so under this banner, which Timothy George described as every pot sitting on its own legs, was his little quote there. The idea of, again, we can just, okay, I read this, well, this is what it's going to mean to me. So forth, so on. So, he has provided for us priestly garments by this greater order, this, this designation that's going to be explained to us, the order of Mechizeldeck, and that he is superior you look at verses 7 and 9, still in chapter 5, Jesus went through all of this, and, and, it's, and I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to attempt it to explain to you. I mean, I don't really like, well, that was the human Jesus, and there's the divine Jesus, and dividing him up into parts and pieces and parcels. He's eternal God, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, even while he sucked his thumb in the manger. He's all of those things. But it says he learned obedience. That's why he's sympathetic. That's one of the reasons. He, he learned these things as a man. So he's superior to all that came before him, the, the Levitical priesthood, because he learned and he learned perfectly. He is superior. Look at chapter 6 if you'll run uh, through there. And just, again, if you want to study this this week, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 5 and running through uh, verse 12 of chapter 6, it's a great exhortation and warning that I think the modern American church ought to pay close, close attention to. Don't have time to, to get into that today. But look, look at verse 17 of chapter 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an, with an oath. And so the idea is that Father, Son, and Spirit swore to one another and they're perfect, okay, there's nothing greater by which they can swear that this covenant is going to work. Now let me remind you, Exodus 24. De delivered from Egypt, through the Red Sea, arriving at Sinai, the mountain start, starts baking, quaking, and shaking. They heard God and it scared the fool out of them. Scared them to death. No, Moses, you talk. We can't handle that. 
Moses lays out God's covenant, the law. You know what they said? You know what the Hebrews said? You know what the Jews said gathered at Sinai? All this we shall do. Guess what? They didn't. Or do my best Ricky Ricardo. They didn't. They didn't. Yeah. They failed. They failed. You know, and it's interesting, I've told you before, the health and wealth crowd, they go back to the Old Testament and, you know, we want our, our crops are going to be great. That means you got a new Mercedes and all this stuff. That's the modern translation. They, they, they claim all that stuff from the Old Covenant. I've never heard one of them call down curses upon themselves because they don't do what they're obligated to do under the Old Covenant. Okay? So, the oath is this. Hear me. Hear me. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have, have decreed that this new covenant that they're inaugurating with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that every obligation placed upon the participants in that covenant will be performed, but not by you and me. It has been performed by our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the, the first covenant failed because they, did, they were knuckleheads. They had it all right before them. And they chose evil and destruction over obedience. And so that, that, the, the, it, you know, the, they, they did not fulfill their obligations. The good news of the new covenant is this. Every obligation has already been performed. And our great high priest says it's yours. I've done it and I've pay, and, and, and paid the penalty. And we will rejoice and be reminded forever that Jesus paid it all. That sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Okay. It's a better, better, better arrangement. Jesus is superior by chronology. You don't, you know, we live at a time newer or younger is innately better. Whatever it is. Okay? If it's new, if you're younger, you know, in other words, you know, you, uh, you know we, we live in a culture that you've got these inordinate amounts of young people that have all these great ideas that are going to fix everything that we've messed up. And, and the attitude is, you know, you, you need to get out of the way, old man, old woman. And that's, that's, that's the snobbery of our age. Hebrew thought that the generation preceding was innately superior. McKizeldeck was on the scene long before God had established the priesthood through Aaron. So just by the fact that he appeared in the course of history before Aaron did, makes him superior. Okay? I'll say more about that in a minute. And then, chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus is superior because he doesn't die. He has an indestructible life. You know, the problem, one of the problems with the priesthood was the fact that what? If you ever got a good one, what happened to him? He died. And the next one might not be so hot. Jesus is our high priest who will remain forever because death could not hold him. And so Jesus Christ is an undeniably superior high priest 
by order, by order of appointment, by the order itself, by his experience, by the oath, by chronology, by eternality. And he has undoubtedly established a better covenant. We look down into chapter 8, and you see that quote from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, yes, you're going into exile. Yes, you're going to be come under God's judgment. But there's a better promise coming. And this covenant, I remind you, does not guarantee you that your crops will flourish. Old covenant, you obey me, your crops will flourish. Your army will be strong. Your kings will be wise and good. Now, new covenant is better because it orients us by its design and definition toward obedience and honoring God. And so this, this covenant that we live under, this thing we call the, the new covenant, it is powerful to change us. There was nothing about the older covenant, about the, 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 the words written on those stone tablets that could actually motivate people toward obedience. That, 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 those words ultimately condemned everyone that looked at them. And so in this covenant, the penalty for our disobedience has been paid. And the will, the desire to obey God has been engraved not on a tablet of stone, but engraved on a heart of flesh that has been given me through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, it's current. Verse 8, Behold, the days are coming. Well, they're here. That's Jeremiah's language. Looking forward 500 years, behold, the days are coming. Well, they're here. We're in them. It's kind of like Peter at Pentecost in chapter 2. You know, in, in the last days it is written, quoting Joel. What is he saying? It's here and now. That, that, that day Joel was talking about is here and now. The day Jeremiah is talking about, it is here and now. This new covenant that is current and it is efficient and it is effective to transform our very lives. Notice verse 9. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. Why? Because they quit on me. They quit on me. Jesus guarantees that those are His won't quit. It's better. It's better. You know, again, the, the, the author goes to great deal. You know, they, what, what happened to him? Well, they didn't believe. Paul says well, they, God scattered their bodies across the desert because they did not believe. And so by definition people, the participants in the new covenant, God is our God and we are his people and we understand the great realities, the great power of the word of God. In other words, look at verse 11. Under the old covenant since it wasn't an effectual effective covenant, you had to run around trying to get Jews saved. Essentially, it's just to put it real simple in the vernacular. Here, every person that's a member of the New Covenant community has God's law written upon our heart, and we have a, may, maybe a, a, a low understanding. I'm not saying we understand everything, but God has impressed these things upon us by Spirit in a way previously unknown to the Old Covenant uh, generation. So, He's established a better covenant. It's powerful. It's here and now. He's working out the, the, the realities, the application of the new covenant as we sit and gather here today. And it is efficient and it's effective. The fourth thing 
Jesus is our superior, perfect, final, ultimate high priest because he served in an unchangeable tabernacle. The nature of the tabernacle was this. It was, it was a big tent that they took up and put down, or put, took down and put up. It was a, a rolling caravan kind of, kind of thing. And so that created certain problems all, all its own. And the design, the, the purpose, was that it would reflect something of the realities of what existed uh, in heaven. Uh, in chapter 8, verses 1, 2, 3, that, that this is the true tent. Jesus has gone as high priest, ultimate effective sacrifice, not into the temple, not into a tent out in the desert, but he's entered into that, that which those things were patterned after, but he's actually entered into heaven, into this true tent. And that thing, that, that, that sacrifice was effective. Christ accomplished what God had determined from all of eternity past, that which He should accomplish. And so Jesus has served in the heavenly, in the ultimate, in the perfect, heavenly tabernacle. Let's look at number five as we kind of move in. He has offered the unquestionably effective sacrifice. Go to chapter 9, verse 12. Jesus entered the true tabernacle as our perfect high priest to accomplish that which God had said He would accomplish, a sacrifice through which sin could be forgiven. He propitiated, remember that word, he propitiated the wrath of Almighty God. That is, He received in Himself the wrath that was designated for you and me. Okay? Yeah. So, He went in, He accomplished it, and this writer emphasized it. wasn't with the blood of goats and calves and all of these other uh, things. Uh, there was some kind of uh, usefulness to that, to to point forward to the reality of sin, or to highlight the reality of sin, to point forward uh, to the, uh, uh, the work of the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he goes on to emphasize for us, verse 25 of chapter 9. It wasn't to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world out of the many defects in Roman Catholic theology, and there are many. The idea that when, we, when, when communion is observed, that there's actually a re-sacrificing of the Lord Jesus Christ is heretical. Okay? Jesus Christ was slain once and for all, never, ever to be repeated. Why? Because it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. And so this sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ... Again, verse uh, 26, notice there, He appeared once and for all. Once and for all. It was finished. It was done. He has accomplished everything that was suggested by the Old Testament system. And again, the point of the Old Testament system was, sin, was highlight men's sins, reveal the holiness of God, look forward to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you can kind of summarize. That, that's what it was all about. Okay, Once and for all, the, the sacrifice guarantees uh, our inheritance, that is verse 15 of chapter 9, 
that we're going to receive that which was promised. The, egg, the, the wilderness generation didn't receive what God said he was going to give them. What he told them he, he's going to give Abraham, he gave, them to their descendants. he gave it to their descendants. But it is certain that you are receiving and you will receive. Now and not yet, okay? The promises, the fulfillment of the promises of God. So, guarantees our inheritance. This, this sacrifice was offered in the very presence of God. That, that, that is, again, uh, uh, under the old system, go into this room here on earth, made by fallen men, ministered to through fallen men. Perfect heavenly tabernacle, not constructed by the hands of men, therefore it is perfect. The high priest is perfect. The sacrifice is perfect. And because God has ordained all of these things, it is absolutely certain that He is going to accept that work that was done on our behalf, okay, that, that he was pleased with that. And so the sacrifice accomplished the impossible. Look at chapter 10. Verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay? There was no salvation in the sacrifice of animals. Now, I've, I've often said... That in some ways, and, and well, I shouldn't say it, probably shouldn't say it this way. I think one of the bad things in, in the church is we do not have a very biblical view of sin. We just kind of giggle and snicker and think, well, that's just the you know, way, way I am. If you and your child had to go out in the backyard and grab up that pet lamb, put him under your arm and say, we've got to go to church. Well, why, why are you taking... You know, Bambi with you or whatever. You know. Why are you taking our lamb? And then they see that precious lamb get its throat slit. We might be convinced that sin is a serious matter. But here's the thing. God did not ordain that we do those things any longer. In fact, I would say it would be blasphemous if you did show up here with your lamb. But that Christ did what was, what's the word? Impossible. Through any other means. He is singularly and solely and uniquely the one mediator, the one sacrifice that has reconciled God and man. And so, that rendered all the old stuff obsolete. No need for it anymore. And that sacrifice was accepted. It was accepted. God is pleased with it. Old system, verse 11, chapter 10, priests still offering sacrifices, doing it all the time, day after day. Jesus offered a single sacrifice, that was it. He sat down to the right hand of God and said, this is finished, that is sufficient. The people that I am going to save, their sins have been atoned for in what I've done, through what I've done. No more of this other stuff. Now, you say that's all well and good and great, and it is. But notice, continuing in chapter 10, Verse 19, I'm not going to give you my little jingles about therefore. But what is the guy wanting to do? What's the writer wanting to do? Okay, I've said a lot. I've given you a lot of doctrine and theology. I've given you a lot of truth about Jesus, what he's come to accomplish, that he's superior to everything that came before him. He is the final revelation of God. And so 
Therefore, there is a therefore. And, it, and it's a good therefore. It's a good therefore. It's a therefore that is for our encouragement. The, 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 the assertion here is we may confidently enter the holy places by the blood of Christ. Let me tell you something. If I've got to show up in the holy place on, on my own performance, I'm dead. I'm destroyed. I'm in hell. But unlike those high priests, remember the, the, the bells and the rope? And I go, not sure I'm going to make it out alive? The invitation and the exhortation. Not with self-confidence, but enter with Christ confidence. Because He's provided that way for us. And so He has provided the way through His flesh. So we enter with confidence because He is what? Look there, verse 21. He's our great high priest. Again, and, and, and again, that, that idea tends to go over Baptist heads. Because, ah, those old Roman Catholics, they got those priests. That's silly. Nobody needs a priest. Guess what? Yes, you do. And you've got one, thank God, and his name is Jesus. Okay? So, we have confidence. We have a great high, high priest. Now, note, look at verse 22. I want you to see this. Let us draw. That is a present middle subjunctive. Now, I know that y'all came to church today to find that out. Okay, so you know that. That that Greek verb there is a present middle subjunctive. Here's the deal. It is what's called horatory. What do I mean? It's an exhortation. It functions really as a, a command. Based on what Jesus has done for us, we must, we should. It's a present tense which means continually. Let us, we must draw near with certainty of confidence, with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Those priests had to get, ba get baptized. They had to get a washing before they could go in. They weren't sure it was going to be really effective. We've been sprinkled with clean water. We have been washed clean. And we can go before God. And therefore, we must, we must hold fast. What's the confession? The truth of, of, of the Word of God. How do you hold fast to the confession? You've got to know it. You've got to put something in here, folks. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself. You've got to remind yourself that I have this great high priest, the great intercessor, one who's offered a sacrifice that has saved me. And then look at verse 23. Now, I think I got a little bit of a snide remark last night from somebody that shall not be mentioned, uh, Glenn Miller. Uh, oh, oh, that slipped out. Uh, but something about the book of Romans that I have spent a little time in the book of Romans. I don't remember that, Glenn, but, but maybe you, you do, obviously. But, you know, if you go, what, what's Tim's thing? Well, yeah, the book of Romans, book of Ephesians. But how many times? Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another in good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, 
but by means of drawing near, of gathering together as being the visible body of the Lord Jesus Christ gathered in a particular place for the purpose of honoring our God, of hearing from Him, of looking each other in the face and encourage one another. Let us not neglect to do that. It's a big deal. It's serious. It's important. Let us not forsake this assembling. And it's interesting, go back to verse 22, that let us has enough force for, to drive everything that's going to be said in the rest of that paragraph, that it's, that it's kind of a, an imperative. It's, it's really the way it functions. But this guy thinks it's important, so three more times he does what? Let us, let us, let us. Why? Because it's important. Because it's necessary. Because the church is an essential service for the people of God, to put it in the modern vernacular. That, that, and, and, and look here but encouraging one another. One of the fundamental complaints that I've heard over this whole mess for the last eight months, I'm so depressed, I'm so discouraged, I'm so this or so that. Well, let me tell you, and again, I, I want to be careful here, okay? I understand, okay? I, I understand, I get it to some extent. But as I've, told, I've said this many times, long before anybody ever heard of COVID, if you're a shut-in, just, just you're physically debilitated, and you really can't come to church, you will still suffer the, the malaise of not being assembled together because you will miss being encouraged. You will miss seeing one another. And we, we hold hands, metaphorically speaking. We hold hands and we say to each other, I love you and we love Jesus together and He is our Lord and Savior and we live in a fallen world and it's difficult and it's dark and it's distressing and discouraging but we have Jesus, our great high priest who has gone before us. He's accomplished everything that's necessary for my salvation. Therefore, since He is my prophet, priest, and king and He is perfect and He is ultimate, I can celebrate this season and every other season because Jesus is Lord. There's the therefore. Why do we need to know all of this stuff? If there's ever been a day in my life that we need to encourage one another, this is it. Now, it may get worse. My honest opinion is it will. It may get worse. But our encouragement is not in any of this stuff, vaccines or otherwise. Our encouragement is that God is still at work. He's saving a people. He's writing His law upon their heart. They're working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They're gathering together in a designated or ordained place to do the purpose that's been ordained for the people of God since God formed the people of God. They would get together to hear from God and to say back to God, My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee, all the folly of sin, I resign. That's why. That's why. You heard me pray this morning. So that You will be glorified. Ultimate. For the good of our very soul. We don't neglect so that you will be glorified. And oh my God, how I need it for the good of my soul. How much I need it for the good of my soul. Therefore, we can with certainty and confidence and joy and hope and purpose live 
sing, serve for our own good and ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the certainty of your word that our salvation is just as secure in this moment as if though we had been in heaven for a trillion years. Because you did pay it all. Because in coming to this earth and humbling yourself and fulfilling every right obligation that God would place on humanity, every obligation that He would demand, if you're going to be in fellowship, if you're going to be right with me, everything Jesus has done for us. And where I have failed, and I have failed in many places, and for all of those who have failed and who have come to know you as Lord and Savior, you have paid our penalty. And so, we live. We live in a world that, that seems to be on overdrive and trying to discourage us and send us to the very depths of despair and to find hope in something or someone other than you. And may we be firmly rooted in the truth that you are our hope. It is sure, it is certain, and we are secure. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.